Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. My wife had put our youngest child, Daniel, down for a nap um, just before she left to go out of town to go to a women's conference. And uh, I had to pick up the kids after school. It's about a 20-minute drive from my home. And so my wife, Leslie, is driving down the road, and she has this thought. I, I wonder if Dennis <clears throat> forgot that Daniel was in bed. <laughs> and then she thought, nah, he wouldn't forget that. And, of course, he wouldn't appreciate a phone call reminding him not to forget the child that's in bed. When I got to the school and realized I only had three kids in the van, (laughs) I suddenly remembered what I forgot, that Daniel was back home in bed. It's okay. He was dedicated to the Lord, so it's all good. (laughs) It'll cover some things, you know what I'm saying? At any rate, I returned home to find him sleeping uh, as well. So it was all's well that ends well, I guess is the moral of that story. But uh, nevertheless, the other thing that's important is remembering is important. Remembering is important. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 says, Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and had given thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink of it with you new in my Father's kingdom. That's Matthew's recording of it. We're working through uh, the scriptures in Matthew that lead right up to the resurrection um, in this series. Luke chapter 22 says the very same story, but it adds a couple other details to it. It says that it wasn't just the blood of the covenant, it was the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant. And then it, it talks about it having a purpose to it. So what is the purpose? Well, in the scriptures in Luke 22, it says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Then again, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the Corinthian church what Jesus had said at that Last Supper. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, 25, he, he finishes by saying this, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Emphasizing new covenant, remember me. New covenant, remember me. This is now going to be a dividing time in history. Jesus' death and resurrection are now going to draw a line in history between old covenant and new covenant. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important to remember? Why would Jesus have this act of communion and then say, do this in remembrance of me? Why is that so important? Well, because remembering his sacrifice reminds us of his covenant. Remembering of his sacrifice is meant to remind us of his covenant with us. You see, the old covenant, which is found in the Old Testament of your Bible, and specifically in the first five books of the Bible, was was the covenant prior to Christ. The new covenant, of course, is found in the New Testament. The old covenant had 600, listen, 613 laws. 
Wow. Wow. You want to follow Jesus? Here, I give you an app with 613 laws. Memorize these. There are moral laws, which we still acknowledge today. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. The Ten Commandments are moral laws. There were judicial laws which deal with justice, how to respond to situations um, where we're unfairly treated. There were ceremonial laws, laws to keep in right standing with God, ceremonies to cleanse yourself uh, of uh, unrighteousness and sin. The laws were a combination of what to do and what not to do. But because of Jesus, he abolished all of these ceremonial laws that you used to have to do or not do to be considered in right standing with God. They are no longer in practice, nor are they required by God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of that. Thank God for that. The meaning uh, is this, is that you don't need to practice those ceremonial laws to be right before God. There's one sacrifice that has taken place for all people, for all time, in all nations, for all eternity. So when it comes to what you need to do uh, in order to be cleansed and to be made right with God in Christ, that is simply one thing, and that is this, have faith in what Jesus did. That's it. Just have faith in what Jesus did, that through his death and resurrection, he has taken care of our past. He has secured our eternity and, and, and eternal life. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear. It's just such an emphasis put in Hebrews to say, you know, it's an old covenant. So guess what? We don't use it anymore. Why? Because it's obsolete. You know what obsolete is. You've got a three-year-old cell phone. (laughs) That's obsolete. At least nowadays, it seems like it is. Obsolete happens. When it's obsolete, you don't dig, listen, you don't dig through your electronics to find that cell phone that looked like a brick and bring it out and try that for a little while, right? It's over. It's obsolete. We don't use that anymore. Hebrews 8 verse 7 says, for if that first covenant had been free of fault, no circumstance would have been sought for a second. That's a powerful statement. Free of fault. Consider the differences between the old and the new covenant. You know, thinking about about those, we're going to look at those in just a moment. But when you think about the old covenant having its faults, the question can become, well, why have it at all? Why even bother having it at all? But the scripture says this, that that old covenant was a guardian until the time of Christ. It was like, it, it kind of kept things together. It kept people's awareness of right and wrong, awareness that God wants to forgive them. And, and also though, it was like a holding pattern, if you will, until the time of fulfillment when the, prom, uh, the promised Messiah would come and take care of it forever. It was a guardian, the Bible says, until the time of Christ. What made it so different then? What, what made it so, so lacking? Well, in the old covenant, you were constantly reminded of your sin. In the new covenant, you're called to remember that he paid for your sin. In the old covenant, it was a circumcision of the flesh. In the new covenant, it's a circumcision of the heart. In the old covenant, there were repeated sacrifices that happened time and time again, over and over and over. In the new covenant, there's already been one sacrifice for eternity. That's Jesus at the cross. In the old covenant, there were what I call, if you will, promises. 
In other words, in order for you to see this promise come to pass, there was an obligation on you. If you do this, God says, then I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. In the new covenant, the promises of God are called yes and amen. In other words, they're already yours because of what Christ did, not because of what you do. The old covenant was a shadow, the Bible says, of what was to come. In the new covenant, we have the final solution for all sin, all time, all people, everywhere. In the old covenant, the works of the law earned your acceptance. Acceptance by God was earned. That was the way it was. In the new covenant, acceptance comes by grace, but it motivates good works. In the old covenant, a priest would enter the holy place once a year. And in the new covenant, every believer in Christ is called a priest who can enter before the presence of God at any time they want in prayer. In the old covenant, there was a law written on stones and scrolls. In the new covenant, God says, I'm gonna write my law on your hearts and in your minds. In the old covenant, you were atoned for your sin. In the new covenant, he removes sin and cleanses your conscience. In the old covenant, there was a tabernacle built by man for God to dwell in. In the new covenant, we are the tabernacle of God. In the old covenant, you know, God is in a building. In the new covenant, God's in us. In the old covenant, it was made for a nation, but the new covenant is for all nations equally. The old covenant was all about the law. The new covenant is all about grace. The old covenant was incomplete, but the new covenant is complete and perfect. The old covenant was unable to change the person, but in the new covenant, you're a new creation in Christ. The old covenant, sin remains, but in the new covenant, sin is taken away. So there's a huge difference, as you can see, between the old and the new covenant. And here's what Hebrews has to say about that in verse 10 of Hebrews 8. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they will not teach each and every one his fellow citizen and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I'll be merciful towards their wrongdoings and their sins I will no longer remember. So just, I wanna walk through this just really quickly before we get into the things we want to talk about. In, the, in this new covenant, the law of God goes in our hearts and minds. It just speaks to the fact that God is dealing with us on the inside. It is about the remaking of our lives on the inside, made into a new person. You know, we're not just given a new book of rules, if you will, but God works to change us internally. He says, you shall be my people. This speaks to the fact that this new covenant is for everybody. It's not just for one group of people. It's for all people, all times, everywhere. He says, they will all know me. What's that all about? Well, under the old covenant, only the priests would enter into the tabernacle, would enter into the presence of the Lord. It was like they were there to offer sacrifices. They were there to you know, hear from God, all the rest of it. In the new covenant, the Bible says, we are priests. Every believer can enter God's presence. We did this morning as we worshiped. I'm sure you sense the presence of the Lord as we just worship, but every believer has that full access to God's presence. When it comes to forgiven, being forgiven, we're not just forgiven, but God says, I forget your sins. I remember them no more. You know that the old covenant was literally called this, a ministry of condemnation. Why? Because it constantly reminded you of your failures. 
Ministry of condemnation. Don't sign me up for that one. (laughs) The new covenant is the ministry of righteousness that reminds you of your acceptance and your approval and that you're qualified through Christ. And why is it important to remember? Because when we remember his sacrifice, we're reminded of his covenant. And, And here's why that's so important. I don't want to live in a new covenant relationship with old covenant thinking. And I see that happening in in people's lives where it's like you're living in a new covenant relationship with Christ, but you have old covenant thinking. And, And it limits your life. You see, remembering reminds me to keep grace in its place. Remembering reminds me to keep grace in its place. In Jesus, we are forgiven and accepted by God, not because we earned it out of our performance, but because of God's grace. It's all grace. That's his favor towards you. It's it's unearned. It's unmerited favor. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 may be very familiar to you, but it says this, for it is by grace that is God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ that you have been saved actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not uh, through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. That's the amplified uh, version of that scripture. Understand this, that when it comes to receiving salvation, it's not really that difficult um, and it's not typically our struggle to receive it by grace and go, okay, God, you know, you died for me. I just received my salvation because of you. And I don't find a lot of struggle that people have in that area. However, keeping grace in its place going forward can be a struggle. It can get out of place. And then we can end up in one of two ditches. One of them is legalism. This is, this um, for us, isn't backsliding, you know, into the old covenant and sacrificing our sheep on the weekend. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I backslid, killed the family goat and feel better about it. But but what it can be is more subtle, but just as negative in its impact. It's when we take our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual habits that have been life-giving to us, and then we turn them into laws to live up to rather than practices to enjoy. In other words, you used to read your Bible because it was life to you. You get up in the morning, grab a coffee and read the scriptures and pray. It was like, it ministered life to you. But now it's like, if I'm going to have a good day, I better make sure I get my Bible reading in. And now you've turned what was a blessing into a law. Now you've turned something under the new covenant that's meant to bless your life and meant to spiritually nourish you into an old covenant you must do in order to receive. And it can become a way of thinking where you now qualify yourself by your spiritual habits as to whether or not you'll have a good day, get your prayers answered, see a miracle when you pray for it, and you ask yourself, did I pray enough? Did I spend enough time in God's Word? Have I been yielding to the temptation or triumphing all the, all the time? 
Or we look perhaps to things that we didn't do, and we turn that into a law as well. Well, I didn't speak up at work and invite that guy to church. Well, I heard my neighbor was sick. I didn't go off and pray for them. You know, I could have helped out, uh, you know, and I just didn't do enough. Maybe if I'd have done more, my prayers would have been answered. You ever thought that thought? Maybe if I'd have just done some more, my prayers would have been answered. It's legalism. Maybe if I'd have just had the right words, they'd have received a miracle. More legalism. Maybe if I lived up to a higher expectation of myself, maybe I'd just see God do a whole lot more in my life. Why don't you just trust what God's already done for you? Then you'll see a whole lot more happen in your life. You're living in new covenant times, but you have old covenant thinking. You're looking for the law that you need to apply when you need to embrace his grace through faith. You know, salvation comes by grace through faith, but guess what? Answered prayers also come by grace through faith. Miracles come by grace through faith. The gift of the Holy Spirit on your life comes by grace through faith. Your destiny in Christ is gonna happen by grace through faith. Don't take what can be good works and healthy disciplines and turn them into qualifying laws that you have to live up to in order to get God's favor working in your life. Here's the other ditch. The other ditch is when we suppose on God's grace to mean that nothing matters because after all, we're gonna be forgiven anyway. It's a gospel of grace, not works. So do our actions really matter? Well, this too is grace out of its place. Grace isn't permission to do your own thing. It's not permission to yield to every temptation and follow your appetites. Grace isn't lawlessness. Grace is actually empowerment to follow Christ. Grace is God's power acting in you to make you into the person, that new person that Jesus says you're to be. Grace is the capacity to lead your life and not let it go out of control. Romans chapter six addresses this with a rhetorical question when it says, since it is by grace, do we continue in sin so that grace can just increase? And then it answers it with, may it never be. The new covenant brought new life. And the Bible says that in that new life, you died to an old life and you've been raised to a new life. Romans tells us that, that in verse five, that that life went off the rails because of Adam's sin, but in Christ, we reign again. Grace in its place empowers you to follow Jesus, to live in freedom, to have self-control. That's what grace really is. That's what it was really meant to do. And remembering the price for your salvation makes you want to lean into holiness as your responsible service of worship to the one who gave his life for you. The new covenant is all about internal motivation. God's law in your heart, on your minds, uh, means that he, he puts his will and his desires inside of you, the desire to please him with your life. That's grace in its rightful place. Here's another thing about remembering. Remembering reminds me of my new and true identity because of Jesus. Remembering the price of my salvation reminds me of my identity, that I'm not only forgiven, but I have a new belonging. You see, Jesus didn't just pay for you. The scripture says he purchased you. 
He owns your life. When he purchased you, he, oh, by the way, don't let that upset you. <laughs> you didn't own your life anyway. It's never been yours. It's always been his. But his purchasing of you brought you back into the relationship with the father that you're meant to have. When he purchased you, he gave you a new identity because of him. Your identity becomes one of forgiven, accepted, adequate, child of God, righteous, justified, redeemed, all of those things. And in the new covenant, it says, he will remember your sins no more. What messes with our identity is when we remember our sins all the time. The enemy would like you to see yourself in light of your last mistake instead of in light of the blood of Christ. He wants you to remember your failures and then connect your identity to that. He wants you to see yourself in light of the last time you got angry at your kids or your spouse. Okay, he gone to preaching truth in church again. (laughs) He wants you to see yourself in light of what your boss said about you at work. He wants you to see yourself in light of what your professor said about you. He wants you to see yourself in light of the gap between what your reality of life is and that oh-so-perfect person that you've been watching on social media. He wants you to see yourself in light of the job that you didn't get, the education you dropped out of, or some other expectation that became your disappointment. He wants you to see yourself in light of the hurt that you have that came from rejection or abuse. And we can take all of these things, and when we do, they become our label. And we label ourselves as mistake, failure, loser, misfit, nobody, unwanted, never qualifying, all the rest of it. If he can get you to believe a false identity, he can limit your life. That's what the old covenant did. The sacrifices, the ceremonial activity to get clean only reminded you that you were unclean. You're a sinner. But remembering Jesus is about remembering the one who has made you to be what you now are. Another way our identity gets attacked is when we think with a formula that goes something like this. Bad things only happen to bad people. So when things are not going well, we can look to something about ourselves. We can become inward focused, if you will, and think, There must be some reason about me that's causing this problem. That's exactly what Job's friends did in the the book of Job in the Old Testament. Um, You read the story of Job. That's exactly the mentality that his friends had. Job, you know, these things don't happen without cause. You must be the cause. Let's try to figure out where you went wrong and you messed up that caused all these problems. Listen, when bad things happen, what you should be looking for is faith in a promise from God to pray and stand on instead of thinking there's something wrong with you. You can let your bad circumstances tell you that you're a bad person. But think about it. Just think about that formula for a moment. If I have bad circumstances, I must be a bad person. If you actually believe that, then the apostle Paul was a horrible person because he had the worst circumstances ever This guy like ships go down with him on it. He gets beaten. He gets left for dead. He gets whipped. He has people that betray him. I mean, he has all this stuff, you know, that goes on. But you know what? Insecure people think their identity is all about their performing. 
but performance comes to an end or comes to a failure. It always does. And when that happens, you have to ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? We belong to God. We don't perform for God. We belong to God. My children didn't perform for me. They belong to me. They belong to my household. Our acceptance as children of God is because of Jesus. And he gives us our identity as that, period. Remembering reminds me to reach out to others. Remembering reminds me to reach out to others. The new covenant is not about my personal relationship with Jesus alone. Listen listen to these pieces from the scriptures in Hebrews. I will be their God. They shall be my people. It's not, I will be your God. You shall be my person. We certainly live in a generation that likes to think that way. The culture, I should say. I'm not picking on the generation, but our culture is like, I'm the person, I'm the person. You're not. That's not the way God relates. I will be their God. They shall be my people. It's plural, not singular. You're included, but it is inclusive. Listen, for they will all know me. From the least to the greatest of them. How many know God's interested in the they? God's interested in the them. And guess what? Them are not all here or in any other churches across our city. There's a whole lot of them that are missing. There's a whole lot of they that need to be reached for Christ. You know, within a few days of the crucifixion, Jesus was addressing his disciples about the necessity of taking the gospel to the world. And, uh, you know, the Bible, his words go into all the world and preach the gospel, commonly known as the the Great Commission, sometimes more like the Great Omission. But at any rate, we don't reduce our experience with Jesus just simply being personal and private when it's meant to be inclusive and public. We already talked about having a new identity, but look what the scriptures, look what the scriptures say about that identity. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a consecrated nation. You're a special people for God's own possession. I think a lot of people would like to stop there and, you know, write praise songs about that and sing about that and celebrate that every Sunday. But Scripture's not done. So that you may proclaim. So that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds, the virtues, the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Belonging is the foundation of proclaiming. When Jesus tells us to remember him, his body, his blood, and, and that it purchased a new covenant um, for us, it, it's not meant to be just about us. Remembering needs to remind us to be outward focused because the message is all about those who have not yet heard and received. The old covenant was for a people. It was exclusive, but the new covenant is for all people, and it is inclusive. You can't remember Jesus without being reminded that the gospel message is for all people. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, 
then what God did for you is your message to others around you. Who reaches people with the gospel? Who reaches people with the gospel? And I ask that question because sometimes people have a paradigm about kind of like who's qualified and all that. And so they think, oh yeah, that's those spirit-filled people. They just got an extra dose and those guys reach people, you know, or maybe it's fundamentalists, you know, they kind of got it all figured out or Bible study people, people that just read a whole lot in their Bible. It's more worn out than my Bible. Those people, or it's worshipers, you know, people who just love to worship those people, you know, or extroverts, certain personalities. But I got to tell you, not any of those things really are what qualifies None of them. Here's who reaches people with the gospel. Here's who they are. Intentional people. That's it. That is the only qualification that I see right across the board about people who reach people who are far from God. They're intentional. People who have decided that staying quiet, ignoring others, keeping to myself, being intimidated to speak up, reach out or invite just is not going to be a pattern for my life. Instead, they're going to be intentional, build friendships, you know, have conversations, make invitation. Paul said this, he became all things to all people in order that he might win some to Christ. That's called being intentional. He was an intentional person. That's why we give out things like this. This little card is something just to help you intentional. You know, this, this week I, I was at a shop that I've frequented over the last, oh, probably over a year. Got to know the person there a little bit. So I invited them out to Easter. I said, hey, I want to give you this invitation to come on out to Easter services. And so the, the lady there, she asked me, she said, oh, this is a church. What kind of church is it? Well, it's, it's non-denominational, you know, people from all backgrounds come. Oh, what else can you tell me? I said, well, it's a Christian. It's a Christian church. I said, a Christian? What's that? Okay, you need to understand, this person is like born and raised about 45 minutes from here. They didn't get off a plane from some faraway country, had to learn the language, complete different culture, complete different religious back. We're talking Canadian born. I don't know what a Christian is. And it's sobering. It is sobering when you have a conversation like that to realize that when Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, initiate those conversations, that that need is real. We live as believers swarmed with other Christians around us. We're a little beehive of Christians. We fellowship with Christians. We're just around. All we see is Christians. What can happen is you can become disillusioned about society. And then you can think, oh, those people that aren't coming, it's because they've rejected. How about the ones that aren't coming because they never heard? Because they weren't invited. People need you in their world. And I want to encourage you, live an intentional life. This Easter is intentional. Be intentional about reaching others. The next Alpha course is going to come up after Easter. Be intentional to invite and bring people to Alpha. Let's stand as we pray. Thank you, Father. 
pray first before I pray for other things off of our message today. That, you know, maybe just hearing the difference between what the old covenant is about, you know, and what the new covenant is has been like informative to you. It's been like, wow, I never really realized that this was what Christianity really is. And maybe that's opened your eyes up to that. Maybe maybe you looked at Christianity in the past and you just thought, oh, it's just all about legalism and you can do and you can't do and you can do and you can't do, all that. That's what you thought. And it was kind of like a turn off and all the rest of it. But the thing God would want you to know today is that no, it's about me inside of you. It's about you opening up your heart to say yes to Jesus as the savior of the world who died and paid for your sins. And he wants to know you, wants to have a relationship with you, wants to walk with you in life, who created you and has a purpose for you. And I want to take a moment and pray for anyone that would be here that would say, you know what? I want to begin that relationship. I want to begin that walk with God today. I want to begin to know Jesus in my life. Bible says that if you pray and acknowledge that Christ was the one who died on the cross and rose again from the grave and your faith in that and receive him as Lord and Savior, that's how you begin your relationship with Christ. So I want to just invite us all to bow our heads, if you would. And and, um, for those that are watching online, we welcome you to pray with us as well. But we're going to pray together. And if if this is where you're at, you're like God. I need to make this decision today. I need to begin this today. We're praying with you. We're standing with you. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life to pay for mine and rose again from the grave that I could have a new life in you. I ask you to forgive my past. I welcome you into my life as my Savior and the leader of my life. And I'll follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. Thank you for those that made that prayer that are intentional today to say, I'm beginning my walk with you. Lord, I pray for all of us that, that Lord, may we walk in light of the new covenant. May we keep grace in its place in our lives, not fall into the ditches of lawlessness or legalism. May we, may we hold fast to our identity as children of God. Lord, don't let the enemy deceive us. Try to use our last mistake as our new name. It's not true. And Father, I pray as well that as we remember you, may we be intentional in our lives to remember those who do not yet know you. Lord, I thank you. Everyone here has a voice. (laughs) Better than mine, probably. We all have a voice. Lord, we all have people around us who are willing to listen. Lord, I pray that we would have the boldness to step into those conversations and watch you do amazing things throughout in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.